0: John chapter 15, I'm going to get my little light to work, shine it in Peter's eye, perfectly formed. All right, as we continue to walk through the upper room discourse, we reach this point where Jesus, again, the upper room discourse, Jesus is together with the 11 guys that are going to carry on after he's gone, and he's laying out the principles for them to carry on. After he is gone, they do not want him to leave. They're upset. We've already been over. Let not your heart be troubled. He says that a number of times because they are upset and he, they don't want him to go away. They don't understand. And he, he's been reminding them for three and a half years. And now the hour has come. His kingdom is not of this world. He's not going to set up an earthly kingdom. He's not, not going to overthrow Rome. He's not going to be the earthly Messiah they're looking for right now. It's a spiritual heavenly of the heart kingdom and so he's been reminding them i need you to serve each other i need you to love each other i need you to understand i'm sending the comforter the paraclete the holy spirit the helper the one that's going to come alongside and help during your time of need and you will have desperate times of need and i'm not going to be here physically but i'm going to be with you the holy spirit's going to come he's going to be with you he's going to be in you he's going to bring to your mind the things that i taught you you're going to do even greater things than i have done because you're going to be able to take the presence of God, everywhere you go. So we've been laying out those things for them. Today we come to this incredible passage that many people have quoted and used, just a powerful message Jesus says to them now as he's laying out these principles. I want you to understand this is a very special relationship, Jesus is saying to them, and says to us that you're not just followers of me. That ought to be good enough. You're not just children of God. That ought to be good enough but I want you to know you're my friend. We're going to see exactly what Jesus meant by that and what he's trying to get them to understand that it's, it goes far beyond a religious choice. It goes far beyond being just even born again, which is an incredible thought in and of itself. The incredible greatest miracle that God ever performs is transforming me from a rebellious, lost person destined, destined to spend eternity separated from God because of my sin nature. He literally transforms me, gives me a new nature, and says, you are my child, and I will give you eternal life. That Beyond that miracle, Jesus said, I want you to understand, you are my friends. Well, let's find out exactly what he means by that. What does John 3.16 say? Everybody knows that one. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, who believed in the church every last life. Remember that's one of those you learn it and you're so excited you learn a Bible verse. How about John 11, Is it 25 or 35? I can't even remember. Jesus wept. There you go. That's a good one. Jesus wept. Genesis 1:1. Alright, I'm making it easy on you, right? All right. First John, don't turn now. I don't catch you by cheating. 1 John 3:16. Not John 3:16, but 1 John 3:16. Ah, nobody knows that. Well, neither do I, so I'm gonna read it to you. John writes these words. By this we know love, listen closely, by this we know love, because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He got the message. Now, all the guys in the room didn't get it this night. They didn't get it as Jesus went to the cross. These are Jesus' closest friends on the planet. He has spent three and a half years of intimacy with these guys, preparing them for this moment, These are the guys, if anybody, if you thought anybody I could count on, these are my guys. And when Jesus needed his friends the most, where were they? Scattered, terrified, lying that they even knew him. Peter, I don't know him. He even cursed. I don't know him. When Jesus needed them the most, they weren't there. But when they needed Jesus the most, where was he? Right there. The Bible says in in Proverbs, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's who your Savior is. That's who your God is. Later, after Jesus rises from the dead, after he sends the Holy Spirit, you read the book of Acts, you begin to see these guys live it out. And you see in their epistles as they write, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for the church, preparing us for all that we're going to face. John writes these words. This is how we know love. Because Jesus died for us. And we ought to give our lives for the brethren. In the case of these guys, tradition tells us that all of them died martyrs' deaths, and many others have. But it goes far beyond dying a physical death. You as parents, as grandparents, if the, if the, if the life of one of your children was threatened, and you could save that life by stepping in and taking their place, you would do that. And, and many have done that throughout history. But what Jesus did was take a debt that we owed, that we could not pay, a sin debt, and he said, I will pay that debt. I will die in your place so that you might know God, you might know redemption, you might have eternal life. I can die for someone physically, but I can't give someone eternity, can I? I can't give them paradise forever. I can't give them eternality bliss with God forever. I might save their life temporarily on this planet, but at some point, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die anyway. Jesus gives eternal life. So the message to us is it's far beyond being willing to die for someone. Many have done that. We as a society, Americans, we owe a tremendous debt to many people in the military that have given their lives down through the years that we might live in this great country. As many problems as we have and as screwed up as it is in many ways by our politicians, we live in a great nation that's free because people were willing to die. To preserve that, we owe a great debt. But I think sometimes, even in the church, we don't realize and we don't live in the reality that we're friends with Jesus Christ. And the debt that we owe him should be expressed in the fact I'm willing to die for the brethren. Now what did he mean by that? That I'm willing to sacrifice my me-isms for your benefit. That it's not about me. That I love you. I'm willing to sacrifice what I want so that I might benefit you As a brother in Christ, you as a sister in Christ are willing to do that for me or for others. But let's see exactly what Jesus meant by that. For example, I was reading, and I read stuff all the time. I was reading again this week about, uh, because I was really burdened about what we've been sharing with you about trying to get uh, a a face, a student uh, pastor to help grant on this campus. And I spent um, a lot of Friday afternoon in Galloway with some other uh, uh, pastors and and going around and looking at that area. And and I've always been had a passion for young teenagers and and just spending time with them. And I told you last week, that's how I got in the ministry in the first place. It's really why God called me to do what I do. And I was reading some more about that this week and how we might be involved, not just in the lives of teenagers, but in the lives of children as they come up and as they become teens, if they see a face where somebody loves them. And, and the stat that I read that blew me away, and, and, I, and I don't doubt that it's true, it said 90% of people, 90% of people who become Christians, who come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior that are born again, 90% of them are led to the Lord by someone either in their immediate family or someone who, a friend who really loves them. And so it clearly is about relationships. But there are a lot of kids who don't have someone in their family that knows Jesus, that loves them, that can look them in the eye and tell them what it means for God so love the world that Jesus, that he gave Jesus, that he died for you. What does that mean? What a privilege that we have to be able to share that. They had a contest in Great Britain a few years ago to define what is a friend. To define what is a friend. Just quickly, two or three people. If you were going to define... A friend, how would you define it? Someone who cares? Anybody else? What? Somebody you can count on? Someone who makes you a better person? Anybody else? What is a friend? Someone who holds you accountable. Anything else? Someone you can trust. I like that one. Here's the winning definition for this contest in Great Britain. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. When you have nobody else, end quote. When you have nobody else that you can count on, You have a friend in Jesus Christ. You may be the only person in the world, in your world, who knows Jesus. But if you do, you're never alone. You have the friend of all friends, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the omnipotent creator of the universe is your friend, is your God, is your Savior. What do you mean by that? As we wrapped up last week, the context was about abiding. Ray Stedman, a tremendous pastor that I listen to weekly to be encouraged and to, be, and to learn, said this about that principle leading into what we're going to talk about today. Jesus, quote, Jesus' words, you and me and I and you are the most profound truth ever revealed on this planet. The most profound truth ever revealed on this planet. That I can live, that I can abide, that I can dwell in Jesus and Jesus in me. That he is not just a guy who died on the cross so that I could pray a prayer and go to heaven one day. He is my Savior, my Lord, my Master, my friend. I want us to look closely at the perfect friendship that Jesus Christ has and what it means that we are His friend. So let's start in verse 12 of chapter 15. Number 1, verses 12 through 15, we need to understand that friendship with Jesus Christ is a privilege. We need to enjoy the privilege. Enjoy the privilege of being Jesus' friend. Friendship with Jesus Christ, verse 12, 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Drop down to uh, verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. Friendship with Jesus. I want you to notice, he opens verse 12, and he closes verse 17 with this principle. It's a command. Friendship with Jesus. He can command that we love one another. Why? Because he is God. Friendship with him goes far beyond just knowing him. Friendship with him is in the arena of I surrender my life to him. My motivations, my desires, my heart. I seek that they are his. I want my life to be a reflection of his. John the Baptist put it this way. I want to be a lamp that reflects the light that is within. I want people to know that my friendship with Jesus Christ means everything to me. And so he says, for that to work, I command. Remember the context. These 11 guys are going to carry on. Jesus commands them. I want you to love one another And it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Why is he doing this? Here's why. He knew that if these 11 guys were going to do what he needed them to do, they had to love each other. They had to love each other. The word love there is agape. And he's already said, I need you to love as I have. Tense of that verb. Had they seen Jesus' love? Man, they had seen it up close and personal. They had seen it in the lives of others. I was reading an incredible story in the Bible this week, and I loved it. Where this guy, a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus Christ, not a Jew, not a Jew, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, comes to Jesus and he says, Master, I know, I believe, I have a servant at home who's desperately ill and needs to be healed. I know you can do that. Jesus said, I'll go with you. And here's what the Roman centurion said, no, no, I don't need you to go. I know you can just speak the words and he will be healed. Jesus turned and said, nobody and never anywhere in Israel have I seen this kind of faith. You understand how powerful a statement that was? Out of all the Pharisees, out of the high priest, out of all the Jews that he had encountered, he had never seen anyone with the faith of this Roman pagan centurion who said, I believe, Jesus, you're all that you say you are, and I believe you can heal my servant. Jesus said, I'll go to your house. Remember, if you were a Jew, did you go to the house of a pagan? No. Because of your ritual purification, you didn't do that, but Jesus said, "I'll do it. I'll go to your house." And he said, "No, you don't have to do that. Just speak it." And then Jesus said that about his faith, and he said, "You go. He's healed. The Bible says, at that moment, the man was healed. Friendship with Jesus goes far beyond, I get to go to heaven when I die. It is my life." Abe said, "You could trust. That's what it means. You could trust. I don't have to worry that Jesus is going to let me down. I don't have to worry that He's not going to be there. when the whole world is gone out. He's still there. When I die, he welcomes me with open arms. I can't lose because of who my friend is. Friendship with Jesus. He opens and closes. I want you, I command you to love each other. They had seen the perfect example. They were also going to see the ultimate example because what was he about to do for them in the next 24 hours? Be tortured to death for them because he loved them. He's gonna, they're going to see him hanging on a cross here. They're terrified. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For the ones that have beaten him, where his vital organs are exposed, and as he hangs and he dies, forgive them. Ultimate love. Romans 5 8 says, Jesus died for us when we were yet in our sin. They needed the example because the agape love. Jesus said, I need you to love like you've seen me love. Just a quick couple of things. That love, totally unselfish, never about himself, always about others. The literal of that Greek, the word love there means a decision of the will to act on the benefit of others. You get that? It said, I choose to do something good for you even though you don't reciprocate, even though you don't love me in return. Do you think those Roman soldiers loved Jesus? He died for them though, didn't he? He died for Pilate. He died for Herod. He died for you. He died for me. Agape love, Jesus love that they had seen and that they would see was you choose to do something good for the benefit of someone else. You choose to do it and then you do it. You act on it. Jesus said, You guys have to love each other that way. Remember the context. We talked about this a few weeks ago. At this moment, as they sit in the upper room or as they're leaving the upper room, whichever it is, as He's giving them this discourse, what had they been arguing about within the hour before this? Hey, Lord, who's going to be greatest? Is it me? Who's going to betray you? Not me. They've been arguing about which one of us will be the greatest in the kingdom, Lord. They were selfish. They were just like you and me. They were sinners. But Jesus knew, if you're going to make it, if you're going to be what I need you to be, it begins and it ends with what? You've got to love each other. You've got to get beyond your selfish desires. You've got to get beyond your agendas. You've got to get beyond your turfism. You've got to say what is best for John. What's best for Jude? What's best for James? Not me. Not me, Peter and John. It can't be about you. It has to be about the others. And I'm not asking you, Jesus said. I'm telling you. That's the way it has to be. And he could do that because he was God. Friendship with God doesn't mean you just get to do what you want to do. Woo! Powerful picture. Because here's what the, it literally means. I love this illustration or this Greek picture. Jesus said, I call you friends. What the word means is friend. You have a friend at the court of the emperor. You are a friend at the court of the emperor. Notice he told them, look again because it's really exciting. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all the things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. I want you to notice that. Verse 13, greater love has no one than he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the most precious gift on earth that anybody has. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to die for you. But beyond that, you're going to have a friend at the court of God. And what he's saying is, he said, I'm making known to you. I have made known and will continue to the Holy Spirit. He'd already told them we'll see more about this next week. You're going to get to know the very secrets of God. You're going to have special knowledge that not everybody in the master's house has. The picture in Greek. You get to be a, a friend at court. You're going to be in the inner circle of the emperor. You're going to be told things that others don't know. You understand how special you are as a child of God? That when you open the Bible and you learn it, as the Holy Spirit teaches it to you, as we, as each other, as we're challenged with it, we're literally learning mysteries and secrets from the God of the universe because he's our dad to share to encourage, to motivate, to understand, understand how special it is to be a friend with Jesus and then go out to the world and say, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus for you. And let me tell you about my friend, Jesus. Let me tell you about him. The special things he's done for me that he can do for you. Now, even though you are a friend of Jesus, the Greek picture, even though you were In the inner circle, in the court of the emperor or the king, were you still subject to the king? If he said do something, were you supposed to do it? Yes, that's the picture. You're a friend with Jesus, but he's also your master. He's your Lord. Here's why you like that, by the way. You and I might be friends. I'm friends with many of you. Some of you very dear friends with me. to me. And I've been blessed over the years with some just incredible friendships. But if I ever let anybody down, don't raise your hand. We're not sharing at this moment. Of course, I have, and I will. I don't really want to, and I don't plan to. So well, how can I let Peter down this week? Let's see. But I probably will at some point. The beauty of knowing that Jesus is your friend, your master, your savior—he, you—you're in the inner circle because you are His child, God's child. Is that if He tells you to do something, what do you know? It's best for you, even though you may not like it. You ever had a friend? They'll get in your face. Somebody said accountable early. I think Charlotte did. It, 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 somebody, you ever had a friend that would just get in your face and say, "Hey, knucklehead, don't do that," or "Stop doing. Don't you understand what you're doing?" I have some friends like that, and I don't always appreciate it at the moment. But I am glad I have them. So, but if God tells me I need to change this, or I need to add this, or I need to stop doing this, or I need to start doing that, what do I know? Yeah, that's right. Because He doesn't make mistakes. He's my master. But then secondly, you get fruit for Jesus. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father, please don't miss this phrase, we've talked about this several times lately, in my name, he may give it to you. You bear fruit for Jesus. Because what you do as the friend of Jesus, when you go out and share him with others, we talked about this with the abiding, that he expects you to bear much fruit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, that you are to exemplify Jesus Christ. The result is, we were talking about it earlier, if I sit down with a guy and I share Jesus Christ, someone else may have shared with him, and I get to reap the fruit, or even if I plant a seed and that person gets saved, those that fruit has eternal consequences, doesn't it? You may not be the person that prays with someone to receive Christ. You may just be the guy who gets to baptize them. Or you may just be somebody that plants a seed. But what you're doing when you go out and share Jesus Christ and people's lives are changed, ultimately, however it happens, <clears throat> that bears eternal consequences. There is nothing more significant you will ever do than sharing your faith with someone else. Maybe your child. It may be a kid on a team that you coach or you help. It may be somebody that we meet at an event. Maybe somebody that just comes to church. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood. Whatever it might be, God saved you, left you. We saw last week, to bear much fruit. Don't be satisfied with some fruit. Don't be satisfied with more fruit. Your goal is much fruit. We talked about last week, I want to be fruitiest. I'm a fruit for Jesus and proud of it. He's my friend. It's something you should desire to talk about. Not walk away from, not be embarrassed about. He's your friend. So it leads us to the next point. A quick example and then we're going to move into number two. There's an organization called the Navigators. Have you ever heard of it? Been around for a long time. It's a discipleship organization, one of the best that our nation has ever seen. The guy that founded his name is Dawson Trotman. If you go to Dawson Trotman's tomb today, on his tombstone, it says, Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. Dawson Trotman started out working with young people. He founded The Navigators, a great discipleship ministry. He was out with some young people uh, on a lake one day, and their boat was capsized, and, they, and uh, he jumped in, to save this girl that was drowning, got her back to the boat. By the time they could get Dawson Trotman out of the water, he drowned. He died doing what? Saving someone else. He gave his life so that that girl might live. Perfect illustration. You think when Dawson Trotman walked into the gates of heaven that day, what did Jesus say to him? Well done, good and faithful servant. We serve our friend, Jesus, because he's worth it. Now notice, very important, the next point. You do enjoy the privilege, and it's a high privilege. It's the highest calling a human being can have. But go to going right with it, and Jesus leads right into it, is you're going to have to expect persecution from the world. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. It's coming. You expect persecution from the world. You're going to expect four things. You can't expect four things. Number one, you expect to be hated, hatred. Number two, you expect you can expect resentment. Number three, you can expect ignorance. And number four, you can expect conviction. And you know what? The Bible clearly states, we're going to see this in a moment, that those are good things. What? Nobody likes to be hated, right? We all want to be liked. But Jesus said, if you choose to be my friend and make it known and live in obedience to me and as friend, you can expect to be hated by the world. Why? Look at the verse, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Verse 18. You need to expect to be hated because they hated Jesus. Now understand this. When you're being hated by the world, what is Jesus letting you know in that verse? I understand. They hated me first. I empathize. I love that word. Very important. If you've been through something... And then you're talking to somebody that's going through it. And you've been through that exact same thing. Do you know how they feel? Of course you do. I had open heart surgery 12 years ago. Kind of a unique kind. I had a valve that went bad and they had to repair the valve. A friend of mine had the exact same surgery this past year. I saw him uh, not long ago, at, at a couple of weeks ago, I saw him at a funeral. Just went up to talk to him. Do I understand the surgery he had? Well, sure I do. I've had the exact same surgery. I pulled my shirt down, we looked at scars. I understand. What Jesus wants you to understand is when you're laughed at, when you're hated, when you're shunned, when they're ignorant about what you believe, they don't understand. I got it because I felt the same thing. I've been there. I was shunned. I was hated. Jesus' own brothers and sisters in John 7 mocked him. and didn't want anything. You know, you're the Messiah. I want you to go up to the, to the festival. And he says, not my time yet. They grew up in his house with him, and they didn't believe any. Can you imagine all Jesus did for these 11 guys that he's talking to, he had done for them, and then he's having to get them ready by telling them to quit fighting about being selfish and who's going to. He understands. When you feel like I'm laughed at, it's a waste of time, I'm beating my head against the wall, I don't know why I'm trying to live for Christ and share my faith, understand. Jesus empathizes. But not only does he empathize, he's right there with you. How many times has he told them, I'm going to be with you? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. The last thing Jesus told him before he left the planet was what? Going to all the world and make disciples, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'll be there. Verse 21 and verse 25, we just read. It's very important we understand this because it's really prevalent in our society today in America. He's saying, understand, they'll resent you because you're different. By living a Christ-like lifestyle, people feel bad. Or they, have, they struggle with being around that. They have difficulty with that, and they resent it. They laugh at you, and they call you funny names. When I was in the greeting card business years ago, before I came in the ministry, the guys that I worked with and tra- we were traveling salesmen. They knew that I was a Christian. They knew what I stood for. One of the guys had two. I had two young daughters, uh, uh, very young at the time. And the guy, one of the guys I worked with, traveled with, he had two young daughters, and he would ask me, How do you do things? And, and how do you do this? How do you, how do you handle that? They knew that I was a Christian. We would travel somewhere, and we would get together in a meeting. When the meeting was over, they were doing what traveling salesmen do. And They'd say, Well, don't say anything in front of Randy. You know, he's got religion. We're going to go down to the bar, and, 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 and like, don't talk. Randy. Wait till Randy leaves. Now, in one sense, nobody likes that. But in another sense, I understood they got it, that I stood for something different. That it was important to me to be faithful to my wife. It was important to me to understand my children knew that their dad was godly. It was important to me that I didn't do certain things. Not in a legalistic sense. And I never, and I never pushed it on them. They just knew who I was. And they were convicted that they weren't that. You know, you hear things like, well, yeah, yeah, I, I go to the, this church, Randy. Yeah, and I, yeah I, I go to church. And I'd say, you know, for me, it's a lot more than just going to church. It's everything. You'll be resented. But here's the one that's really important. Most of what they do is because they're ignorant about who Jesus really is. They're ignorant about what you really believe. They're ignorant about what it really means to be a friend with Jesus, to be a Christian. And you need to confront their ignorance. Doesn't mean you're going to be a Bible scholar, but you should continually learn the Word of God and apply the Word of God so you could talk intelligently about their ignorance. We heard it from our own president in the last two weeks, misquoting scripture to use it for something that he wanted, and I think he sincerely believed it. But it's not what that was talking about. You hear it, you see it all the time. It's important that we understand truth sets people free. Set you free? It'll set them free. I've I hear it for people who attend this church that I talked to, and come some. I talked to somebody this week who had a family member die, and I was talking to them about. Did the person know Jesus? And they said, Well, in his own way, he knew him. That kind of scares me. You don't get to pick your way. What did Jesus say? I am the way. And you don't get to decide what that means. He told you what it meant. So they're ignorant. You love them, you care for them, you pray for them, and you share your faith. And they will be convicted by how your life has been changed because you're a friend of Jesus. Now, why should you expect persecution? Very simple. Very simple. Because you identify with Jesus. Because you identify with Jesus. The very term Christian means little Christ. I want people to know I'm a Christian. And what that means. Not just that I go to church. He's my friend. He's my Savior. He's my Master. He's my Lord. I love Him with all my being. Now does that mean you should carry your Bible to work and find the heaviest one you can and when you walk into a meeting slam it on the table and say praise God or do you people know Jesus? I tried that once, it, and that doesn't work. I was in a meeting this week with a bunch of preachers. I don't know why, but I was there. And even preachers get under my nerves, and I are one. They were talking about, you know, we need to do this, need to do that. And, and, and I was like, i just got to eat eat, and get out of here. I'm going to snap. Because in all their things they were talking about, you know what was left out? Jesus. Now I understand. They had, there were some sincerity. Don't misunderstand me. But what they were trying to do wasn't going to change anybody's life. There were some good things that were going to happen. And hopefully that would lead to lives being changed. We need to understand that, I, that it's our hour. What's the title of this series we're doing? It's our hour. I'm glad it's my hour. I'm glad I got an hour. That may be all I got left, but I got an hour. God gave me it. Th- it's exciting to be a Christian right now. So the last point is, no, you don't really expect the persecution. You've got to endure it. Those who live God, desire to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's an inevitable fact of being a Christian. You're going to be persecuted. Verse 26, when the helper comes talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Three quick things. I'm just going to tell them to you. you may pick up more of them next week, but I'm going to tell them to you. Number one, don't be silenced. Don't be silenced. The helper's coming. The Holy Spirit. He talked about it before. It means the comforter. The one who comes alongside to help in time of need. Don't be silenced. I'm going to give you chapter 16, gonna. I'm just going to add this to next week. So we're just moving through this. What I want you to notice is verse 26 of chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You ought to write next to your Bible in verse 26 this word, Trinity. You see it? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you see all three of them there? The word Trinity is never in the Bible, but it sure is right there, isn't it? And there are other examples you've already seen in this very discourse. But Jesus said, here it is. The Father is going to send the, the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Don't miss this. He will testify of whom? Say it, please. Jesus. If anybody tells you there's another way besides Jesus Christ, who did they not get it from? They did not get it from God. Do you understand? They did not get it from God. The Holy Spirit, who is God, is sent by God the Father to testify of God the Son. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So you understand you're going to be persecuted. I'm going to give you the next, two, next week because I want to close with this. Be a friend with Jesus. It has to be your whole life. In 1900, during the Boxer Rebellion in China, it was a group of about 100 people that were inside this mission church, Christians. And during the rebellion, the insurgents had captured the area around the mission, and they sealed off all the exits, and they, they, they left one exit open. They laid a cross down outside that exit. And they said to the people inside, the 100 people, if you come out and you tromp, tramp on the cross, stomp on the cross, we'll let you go free. But if you refuse to do that, you will be shot. These were all students. Missionary students that were inside this mission school. The first seven went out terrified. They stomped on the cross, and they were allowed to go free. The eighth was a young lady, a girl. He walked out to the cross, stood there for a moment, knelt down and prayed, got up, walked over, and was shot to death. This a young girl. The other 92 walked out, and every one of them was shot to death because that young girl showed them. Showed them an example. Greater love has no one than he laid down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life for me. I will lay down my life for you. Cost them their life physically. It may only cost you relationships, but it will deepen every other relationship when you're a friend with Jesus Christ. You're going to be persecuted. As you endure, it points people to Jesus who can change their lives forever. You want to be his friend? Bow your heads, please. Father, well, we thank you for the simplicity of that principle that Jesus gave to us. He doesn't just call us servants. We're not just in the house. We're His friends. He shares with us the intimate details of what the Father wants. We read them in the Bible. Lord, I pray we would delve into, learn more about our friend Jesus, and go out and tell people about our friend who changes lives, wants to be their friend. So, Lord, for the Christians that are here, I pray that would be our desire, to be a friend of Jesus Christ and to share that friendship. And, Lord, if there's one person here who needs a friend, who needs Jesus Christ, They would simply say to him, thank you for dying for me. Please save me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.